Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. That's an awful plan. <laughs> Why? Well, it's just not at all how dental records work or fires. Okay, well, I need to figure something out because this is the last thing I need to do. Mm. The last thing. Yeah. So, I have to be smart about it. Yeah. Pliers notwithstanding, I guess. Sam thinks I'm stolen. Okay. What is with everyone rushing everybody all the time? Thank you. Nick is in a coma. Kevin and Neil are back to normal, so I, I do have time. I can't be stupid about this. Well, you gotta think things through. Yeah. You gotta be sure. How do you know when you're sure? Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight, we're discussing episode six of season two, The Machine. It was written by Kate Loveless and Jasmine Peck. Kate is a staff writer on the show, and this is her third written by credit, having co-written this season's Ghost and season one's Broken. Jasmine is also a staff writer on the show, and this is Jasmine's first written by credit. The episode, it seems, as ever, was directed by Anna DeCosa. Just a community note, if you want to continue the conversation, please join us on Facebook, Kevin Can F Himself Fans. We're having a good time over there discussing all the ins and outs as this series is coming to a close. We've assumed you've watched this episode, so we're not going to be giving a step-by-step recap of the episode itself. If you haven't watched, you should pause this because it will be full of spoilers and talking about things that happened. Go watch the episode, come back, and then you'll be ready to listen in as we deep dive into it all. <laughs> Caroline, I want yeah. to, before we get get into the episode yeah i want to read a comment we got oh on apple Podcasts, where i encourage everyone to go and leave us a five-star review because if you do we'll do this we'll read your comment <laughs> on i uh, will read your comment on the podcast this is a question that i thought was interesting that maybe we should take a couple minutes to uh discuss uh Ooh, okay. it is from scarlet minded is a five-star review it is uh titled confused why allison's mom gets a laugh track we talked a little bit about this in the episode, but I figured we would go back to it since Scarlet Minded was so kind as to leave us a five-star review. I thought Kevin's world was the only one with a laugh track. I actually like the actor who plays Kevin. He's doing a great job being the goofy buffoon who just puts people down, but is still seen as the, quote, good guy. Yet putting Allison's mom in that situation makes me think the sitcom is in Allison's head. Yet Kevin's sitcom world exists without Allison's interaction. I thought ideally Kevin would never change since Kevin's don't change. Hopefully he won't go into the drama world. I think that would be a disservice but I think Allison's mom in the sitcom world is a disservice. Maybe it's because it only had two seasons? I don't want to think it's all in her head since the only sitcom parts prior to this was only Kevin scenes. So now I'm very confused what this show is trying to say. It broke its fourth wall with the ham people scene. It makes 
it makes Neil entering the drama world weird because it was supposed to be a big deal. But if her mom is in the sitcom world, then anyone can just move back and forth. Like the cop, too. She just ends up in the sitcom horror movie scene with Kevin without a problem. You would think that the cop would understand why Allison does what she does. Or is a domestic assault victim the way he puts her down? But for some reason, I was never sure of the cop hates her enough to make jokes about killing her. Doesn't the cop know Allison's dad? The show is making less and less sense to me, keeping the drama world and sitcom world very separate. I thought that was the rules the show set for itself. It was a great premise. I hope it comes back to a solid conclusion. Thanks for the podcast. I don't know anyone personally who watches the show. Glad you guys are here. So there, there's a couple things there, but I think it's an interesting thing to talk about because the general premise is why is Allison's mom in the sitcom world? Do you want to you want to tackle your thoughts on that before we before I can keep talking? <laughs> okay, well let's let's assume that we're talking this one through. So I'm going to say some stuff and then I might change my mind at the end of our little conversation because I'm open minded like that. So I think that she is still representative of someone who is sort of caught up in, if we're going to say the ham people life, right? So there's like a way that their little society works. Certain people get to be the butt of the joke and certain people get to make the joke. And because she's not the mother is not considered to be like on the like enlightened side of it of like, wait a minute, who's the butt of the joke? And like, am I hurting someone and all that? Then that's why her character plays out in the sitcom world, because she's not somebody who's like woke, if you will, to the situation. So why do we see Neil in, you know, the drama side? Because we only see him after he has the realization that, you know, you can't be going around treating people this way. So I think that's the divisionary line. I do not think it's in Allison's head. I don't think it's like the way she perceives these people. I think it's the they're trying to signal to us that character's level of perception of the world around them and where they fit in basically and maybe their lack of accountability as they go through the world yep i like that too i, I agree with you 100 percent. I, I think it's kevin uh in the same way for those thor fans out there uh odin says is asgard isn't a place it's a people i don't think kevin's living room is a place i think the sitcom world is representative of a people i think allison's mom is a quote-unquote kevin the same way that Kevin is a Kevin. And so I think that's why she gets the multicam treatment. I think it's meant to show that this is a history of experience Allison has had with people in her life. That she grew up with a mom who was a Kevin, who treated her father like Kevin treats Allison. Allison as the daughter being in that same position as her father, these dreamers who have aspirations and hopes to get out of the small town, these hand people dreams and ambitions. And you have this woman who just holds them down and berates them and abuses them for their own gain and their own lack of, uh, lack of ambition or, or operating from their own ends. If we saw Cindy and Nick operate, I have a bet Cindy would probably be a Kevin in a Nick world. I make a bet Nick grew up with a Cindy sitcom-like world based on her conversation with Patty at the birthday party. Uh, yeah, so for me, I think it's that Allison's mom represents what it is to be a Kevin in the way uh, she treats the people around her, her loved ones around her, in the same way Kevin treats his family around him. And, and well, everyone, not just his family. And I don't know 
who he loves or the extent of his concept of love. But yeah, I think the show, I think the show is being actually pretty consistent with its rules, but at the same time, also condensing it though, because there is a colliding of worlds that we're, that we're seeing. And for sure, anyone who's listened to our first couple of episodes of this season two, we've talked about the quickened pace, how everything seems to be on fast forward as that's happening. But I think this idea of collision goes back to season one. We talked a lot about, especially in the back half of season one, how the world seemed to be colliding more and more and more and getting closer and closer and closer to that point where where Neil enters the single cam world when he gets hit over the uh, the head with the bottle when he attacks Allison. So I think it's both things. I think the show is consistent with its rules. I think it hasn't betrayed that, but I think there is a colliding of the worlds that's going on. The question about is it in Allison's head, it can't be in Allison's head because the world exists when Allison's not there. Right. So in that case, we know it's not she's not the narrator for us. We're watching outside of Allison. It's important because the reason why it tended to be like certainly in the season one where it was like Pete and Neil and Kevin, they would always be in that multicam world and they would be very, you know, I don't I don't want to say like vicious with each other, but they were the butt of each other's jokes all the time like there was absolutely no careful you know like what am i doing what am i saying about my friend or whatever like there's just no awareness i guess generally so that part to me is what identifies who's in that world and who's not because when you look at like say tammy and patty they're not in multicam world when they're just talking to each other because their head's not in the sand about what you know they're responses are to people even with tammy's control issues she yeah, still doesn't I, rise to, like hit on that one right she still doesn't rise to the level of kevin-esque behavior here's the thing it's not necessarily the intensity of tammy's kevinness it's that she's fully aware of what she's doing mm. kevin i don't think really takes the time or really bothers to give a shit about what he's doing to people so tammy can be a full-on kevin but because she's aware of it, she's in single cam. Whereas Kevin or Pete or before Neil, they all stay in that world because they never stop to consider how it's affecting people around them. Which is a great segue to this episode. This episode very much operates as a setting the table for the final two episodes of the series. I think it is an important episode because it makes explicit the thing that the show had just inferred for us all along. Kevin, for all of his faults, gets what he wants when he sets his sights on it, no matter the consequences, no matter the collateral damage, no matter anyone's anyone else's feelings or considerations. If Kevin wants it, he has a single-minded drive that allows him to go and get it. This episode, for the first time, really, really makes that explicit. In Kevin wanting to take revenge or getting justice, simple justice on Kelly McDonough, the reporter, uh, mm. and, and getting her fired. Yeah. Putting the horse head, the, the stuffed horse head on her windshield, which was sick, uh, and an homage to the Godfather. Who is Kevin to get someone fired at the newspaper? But there you go. But we saw this coming. Remember we said, why is this article, why is this reporter continuously being brought up? Like, it seems like they're trying to keep her on the radar screen and, you know, that that Kevin is going to do something. So seeing her walk out with her box of stuff and look so upset, I was like, I cannot even believe this guy. Like, cannot believe him. 
One of the important things, though, to note, though, in this episode is the how Kevin goes about doing it, because before Kevin gets his verve, it has to represent his own self-interest, right? Think back to the birthday party. He wasn't interested, really, in helping Allison plan the birthday party until it coincided with his own self-interest of getting Pete to dump Lorraine and hook up with Diane. And then he became very interested. So for in this episode, we see two different times where Kevin adopts someone or something as his enemy, as his target, as a nemesis in the in in relation to the stop sign. He calls the stop sign his nemesis and then seeks out to destroy it. He gets Kelly fired, which he targets her as an enemy. And then he removes the stop sign, which is the direct cause of the car crash. Well, that Sam and Allison are in when he's with his father declares to be his nemesis because he blames that for always being late to work instead of his intake instead of taking responsibility for his own actions when it actually had Pete saying you set your alarm for a, like 11 a.m. that again like watching other characters like start to kind of wake up to like the what the hell are you doing Pete in particular because Pete being Kevin's father has had a front row seat and play, and probably played a front row part in creating Kevin. I mean, we there were tons of allusions to this in season one, and you and I spent a bunch of time talking about it. If Pete was going to end up being the biggest monster of the show, if he ever crossed into single cam, because who could create such a creature as a Kevin? Well, you have to look to the parents, right? That, that makes sense. And we have one of the parents, the surviving parent, right here in the living room in all of his PJs, which I, I made me laugh. <laughs> I, I give the show I a, a, such that. a funny bit, all of the pajamas. Okay, I got a suggestion for that. Every time we see Pete, he comes out of the basement and he yawns and he stretches. What is he doing? Waking up. Oh. And he does it over and over and over in the episode. And I feel like for me as an audience member, that's like cue in like this guy is waking up and becoming more awake and more awake as we go and not hopping in the hot tub right he's choosing to spend his mornings with the unseen Lorraine in the kitchen instead of getting in the hot tub and it started with last week's episode in the blackout where he couldn't find the words like we're upset at you we're mad (laughs) at you you owe us an uh, Pollock, like he was like learning the words for the first time last week. And this episode, again, more and more where Pete is not buying into Kevin's shenanigans. Really, it probably goes back to, you could probably track it back to the political ad where he went and, sp- and spent the night storyboarding out uh, a campaign ad for Kevin. And then Kevin, you know, took Allison's advice and completely, you know, shit canned the whole thing. Maybe even there you could start tracking the division between these two. I'm way off track, though, but the whole point was we had spent a lot of time talking about season one is Pete going to end up being the most Kevin of Kevin. But even now we're seeing Pete, the the closest to the closest person to Kevin, because Kevin is Pete's son. Even he is not standing by his side as as steadfastly anymore. I'm happy to have gotten that comment because I think it was interesting to revisit the laugh track and, and using Allison's mom, who we only got the one the couple of scenes with Allison's mom in the sitcom world was important because it showed kind of this history for Allison. One of the ways it makes sense that she would wind up with a Kevin is if she had always grown up with a Kevin. It was one of the things that she knew, especially with her father dying first. 
how much one-on-one time did she have with this Kevin-esque person in, in Allison's mom? That's what is expected, right? It's learned behavior. Am I off base with that, you think, or...? Not at all. I think it's definitely it's like under that grooming category of like, you know, if you've just been around it for your whole life, then that's what you expect, that there's going to be that element in your home, you know. And so having a parent that behaves that way, that's what you expect it to be like. I think that's why Patty puts up with so much of what Neil does is because, you know, and she kind of has that like, you know, you're you're acting like dad or you're doing this like that kind of stuff. Well, why does she why is she okay with it? Well, because (laughs) this is what she's used to. This is what she grew up with. She says in this episode, when uh, Neil is drunk, uh, is wine drunk, he acts like my father, which she leads kind of like with an ellipsis, like dot, 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 and doesn't fill in what that means. But I think we all understand it's bad. I, I don't think I don't think he acts like a great guy when he's wine drunk like her father. I don't think that's what we're supposed to take away from there. When you come upon a person who is in an abusive relationship, it's almost never their first abusive relationship. They were probably abused somewhere along the line beforehand. Obviously, I'm not a therapist, but in my experiences, that seems to play out pretty much all the time. Well, let's talk about episode themes. We got more fire this week, and now I'm starting to really get worried. This is another episode. This is two weeks in a row now where we have seen a newspaper be burned. We have Allison talking about one of her planned ways of killing herself or faking her death would be a fiery car crash with her dental records. Kevin, with the newspaper, setting it on fire because that's how he deals with his anger at the news article or going to set it on fire. I don't think he actually ever actually lights it up. There's too much fire being bandied around <laughs> in these episodes. I, I definitely feel that way. I, I, you know, we've kept our eye on that. It's been on our board this whole time about what's going on with this fire and you know when we were talking about the the dental records and that fiery car crash part i was like as far as we know he hasn't put those nine volts back in their smoke detectors oh you know he has not you know he's probably lost them and blames neil or (laughs) or sam maybe said think sam stole them where the generator is This is a weird episode theme, but it's been on my mind the last couple of episodes because I feel like it has been ramping ramping up, but we haven't really talked about it. The drinking. And this is a show where virtually every sitcom scene features drinking. Even with that, I feel like it has ramped up exponentially. In this episode, there are two completely separate scenes that they acknowledge are on two different days where Allison and Patty drink themselves into a stupor to the point where Patty is non-functionally hung over the next day. I agree with you. I think it's also because it's Allison and Patty so much. We were accustomed to seeing the guys drinking a ton because, like you said, it was the sitcom world, but now it's all over the single cam. It's all over, you know, with, with all of them, basically. I mean, everybody across the board is always drinking uh, we do get the team we'll t- when we get to neil and diane we'll talk about the maybe the the trying not to drink so much which is a, an interesting contrast do you think that's why she she doesn't take the beer yeah, I think it's because she do- she doesn't want to be bought, and she and she's sick of it being like like I know why you're talking to me here, and you're trying to bribe me with this beer. Like, drink your own beer. I don't think it's some sort of stance against drinking. Well, she's in AA at the end of the episode, so she's going I, to I, AA meetings. I, I, yeah, I so, agree with you. I agree with you, but you know what I mean. No, no, I think it's a hundred percent. I don't need your free beer. I think she's very not impressed with who Allison has become. But I think part of that is because she has this newfound thing to distract her instead of drinking. So it's a little bit of the high horse. Whereas I think season one, Diane would be like free beer, hell yeah. Now that she's come around to this Neil side of things until the end of the episode, I think she 
has a little bit of superiority. Like, I don't need your free beer, and I'm not impressed with it, and you're trying to buy me off. I see what you're doing. And even though that would have worked before, it doesn't work now because I'm trying to clean up my life. I think it's both things. And it's also, I mean, she's calling Allison on some hypocrisy here. You know, all you do is talk about Kevin is a shitty guy, and I see Kevin as a shitty guy now, right? And here you are cashing in on him, which is brings us to really the last theme of the episode. And I think the most important one, and maybe the most important one for the series, weaponizing Kevin. I love that they got to this because it's part of what we see with them making explicit that Kevin sets his sights on something. Kevin gets it done for Kevin's self-interest in this episode. He gets the reporter fired. He gets the stop. He steals the stop sign. But Sam and Allison realize that they can weaponize Kevin in this episode and don't hesitate to do it. First, we see Allison getting free beer at the seas, being a little pathetic about it as she goes. And she's like, I am the wild dude's wife you know like yes. she really has to but it works out i mean but she has to endure the guy the bartender of course saying and we all have heard this line that guy must be a laugh riot to live with at home that's the price allison has to pay for the free beer right yeah she has to swallow it down but if you have no money i mean and you want alcohol Free beer at the seas is pretty good, even though, again, she's on record as not liking beer. And obviously, the most important weaponizing in this episode, Sam's parents, who are threatening to take Bev's diner from him because of the fallout of his marriage with Jenin. Allison, through a great bit of manipulation, we have the clip, we're going to play it here in a second, um, she, she sets the scene to make... Sam's in-laws the enemy for Kevin so he goes and he does what Kevin does and he makes the problem disappear he threatens litigation under Kelvin McLoberts and it goes away and they get to solve both of their they get to solve both of their Bev's diner problem in this episode by weaponizing Kevin what do you is what do you think about the idea of weaponizing Kevin as morally justified no it, it has she earned the right which is her argument after 15 years she's finally recouping some of the bullshit back that she has had to endure yeah i think it's completely okay for her to decide to play the game and be more on the offensive than constantly be on the defense like it's smart on her part to finally take the he has like these laser eyes for like pinpointing exactly what will blow things up and so to point those in the direction you'd like them to blow something up i think is just clever smart and a great way to cope with dealing with him let's play the manipulation clip here because i think allison this is in the multicam uh scene i think she plays this really pitch perfectly she understands how to move kevin uh, i think she's always understood how to move kevin we've seen her do it even going back to season one we've seen her be able to manipulate him but now that she has her own goal in weaponizing him i think this is this is like uh, watching a master at work i know it's breakfast but where are the meats he's right allison what is happening here yes i left out the meats i hate it too but we have to cut back a little bit because i'm losing my job at the diner what what'd you do Sam's in-laws are coming after the diner and the divorce, and they're closing it down. Of course he can't keep his restaurant. He can't even keep his own wife. Well, we just have to cut back on a few things, all right? Breakfast meats and maybe buy a little less beer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what are you giving up? Well, we can stop ordering takeout all the time. Meaning you'll cook. Um, I can boil a dinner with the best of them. 
Well, if you have such a problem with it, you can take it up with Sam and his terrible divorce settlement. Actually, you know what? Don't do that because he doesn't enjoy talking to you. It's that last bit that makes it art. By insinuating that someone doesn't enjoy talking to Kevin, there's no better way to ensure that he will go full tilt into this. <laughs> yes, he's absolutely uh, driven to win someone over or in any way influence them. It doesn't always work. The hard part is that this starts after the car crash, right? We have that scene where we see Jen throwing a rock through the already smashed up car um, because we learn Kevin has been there and Kevin blows the spot up. This is my clunky way of segueing into let's talk about Alice and then Sam because it really starts with with what Kevin sets in motion. Let's listen to Jen and Sam uh, talk a little bit about what Kevin shared. He came by the diner last week and he saw me sleeping he also said that since Allison started at the diner, she's been working until midnight at least once a week. The diner isn't open until midnight. Now, I was under the impression that you were at AA meetings those nights. And, um, and I told him that. And that I saw Allison there once, too. Jen. And I really, I really want to believe it. That you two were just... You were going to AA meetings together. I don't think Kevin bought it. And if he can't. We should talk. Do we have to? That's a rough scene, but it also feels like one that was coming for a long time. It feels weird that it's actually taken this long for it to happen. I have a bigger question for you, Caroline, and I, I really am curious what you think. Are Sam and Allison actually fucking again? Or are they doing, like, faking your own death prep the same way Patty and Allison have been sneaking around and having to give excuses to Tammy and Kevin about where they are? I don't think that they're back together in any way. I really don't. I think that there's probably lost time that Kevin doesn't know where Allison is, that she probably does blame the diner. I mean, we know there's different things that she's had to been doing to prepare for this, you know, Gertrude Franch biz. Like, where does she say she is necessarily when they were at the the funeral home or like different places like that i mean it's logical she might have said i'm working late i don't think they're together i, I, don't, I don't think so that. either i didn't get that vibe they don't when they're in the car talking in the beginning of the episode they don't have the vibe of we just finished having sex no but it would make sense though because if sam is sleeping at the diner he wouldn't be home so jen jen and Nin wouldn't actually know when he was getting home so even if allison is using it as an excuse for kevin she doesn't necessarily need to be with sam but no one could count for where sam's whereabouts are either because he lives and lives and sleeps now at the diner i'm sure people are going to be asking if that's a thing i agree with you my vote is no i don't think they're actually because she was so distraught when she kissed him again and i think that seemed to reveal like this scab of this is a horrible idea we can't do this again feeling that felt very real to me that i didn't get the impression that they then you know took their clothes off 
And I think that part's like played out for them. I, I just, I feel like, you know, again, she was like the road not taken. And so she kind of like went and explored that a little bit and it absolutely did not work out. And she realized like, this is no better. Figuring that all out, I there, there's like zero reason to think she would venture down that again. Let's play this clip. This is actually right after that scene between Sam and Jen and in. Sam is with Allison outside in the alley behind Bev's diner and they're talking. Sam has this interesting take on the whole thing. He cornered me last night and told me sobriety was the reason I'm not fun anymore. Called it a reverse intervention. Jesus. Scary how okay you can seem after 10 car bombs. Still sounds better than my day. Sorry. I feel like my near-death energy lasted 24 hours. Leave it to Kevin to bring you back to reality. Yeah. Jen and I have been struggling for so long, even before we moved back here. I feel like we could have pretended forever, but now... Kevin blew up your life. Welcome. Thing is, I'm not sure I'm angry. <laughs> Maybe it's my near-death energy talking, but I might, a I might actually be grateful to him. I mean, that sounds cuckoo bots coming out of his mouth, but it makes a lot of sense, though. This is the first stone rolling, rolling downhill that really gets Allison's wheels turning about we can weaponize Kevin. You know, she says later on to Sam, I think it is, it wasn't luck, it was Kevin. After Diane gives her the money, Sam says, I told you you'd always get, you, know, you could always find more cash, you know, I'm, I'm so jealous of how much, how lucky you are. And she says, it's not luck, it's Kevin. I think this scene, this idea of actually being grateful to Kevin is like one of those first, one of those first stones rolling downhill that shows her I can actually use Kevin to my own advantage. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that she kind of realizes that she can like mold this lump of clay a little bit, create something that she wants out of it. I feel like Sam is confusing his words. When he says he's grateful, I feel like that's, that's a little bit misguided. I feel like maybe there's some relief for things to just have like finally been dealt with with Jen. And so I understand that there's there's some amount of relief in that, but I don't think he was grateful to have it happen the way it happened or anything like that. So, and that's the part that Kevin plays in. It's not like he stuck around then and they all talked it out, you know, and then you could be grateful to Kevin. Like, no, I mean, there's relief that a shitty marriage came to an end. Ugh, that's not the same thing as being grateful to Kevin. Right. And also that he didn't have to really do most of the dirty work. He just had a sandwich that had to kind of come in and clean it up. Kevin is a chaos bomb. I don't know that we should ever be grateful for chaos bombs. And, and I think Allison has to be careful about that, too, with with using Kevin, because it does have unintended effects that you maybe don't always think through. Kevin certainly doesn't think all of them the way through. I don't think he really put together going to Jen's house, sorry, Jen and Nin's house to talk to her about it. I don't think Kevin was thinking this is going to be the final nail in Sam's marriage to her. That's the key, though, is that he never thinks it through. He never considers who this might hurt or what might actually happen. And so he reminds me of one of those like like those 
like bombs they make out of things like nails and stuff. Yeah. Some people get killed and some people just get like pierced. But like, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen when he comes around. Which is all the more reason, though, that the people who are going to use him, if we're going to use him as a weapon, we have to think through it a little bit. Or hopefully we think through it a little bit so that our loved ones don't get hit with the shrapnel from, from the Kevin Chaos bomb. Because he doesn't think through it, I think Allison and Sam also have to be very careful that they that they do think through how using Kevin will work out. Because, I mean, Sam even says at the end when he gives out the Kelvin McLoberts information about the litigation, he says, it feels a little bit slimy, but I, I didn't actually do anything. So I think I'm OK here. Right. And he asks her kind of for like approval of I can let this happen. Right. I mean, you know, at least he's kind of questioning the morality of the Kevin chaos bomb right the the kevin ied of this has fallout but i think it's okay here it seems contained yeah and and i think that with kevin i mean i as much as it, it can be thought like beforehand like oh we really did sort it through and whatever he is so chaotic i mean just again imagine that that nail bomb thing exploding everywhere like you can try to think it through but i don't think you would ever guess the amount of actual chaos he's going to you know, create. We have two episodes left of the series. If this is going to become a thing that we do, I just want to put up on the board to to make sure everyone is being safe. Make make sure you're using your hand gloves. Make sure you have a face mask on. Like before you go and throw a Kevin into a crowded room, make sure you have thought through what the what the fallout might be. I guess that's my concern. So far, what we saw in this episode, free beer and getting and Sam getting to keep Bev's diner, great things. I'm giving it two thumbs up. But if we start to escalate how we're using him, we get stop signs getting pulled and car crashes and people losing their jobs, which we didn't even talk about the fact that Kevin going to get Kelly McDonough, the reporter, fired. It's just like what he did to get Allison fired, right, from her paralegal job. The guy is also super repetitive in how he goes about doing his business. Well, he's figured out what works. He figures out what ruins people and, you know, what what can create the most amount of chaos. He's efficient, you know, in what he's doing. I thought it was actually pretty clever to create a, you know, a concept that maybe the diner was going to be sued. That's actually way smarter than I would give Kevin credit for. Well, that's the thing. Kevin's not dumb. Kevin is just so self-centered. Oh, I was going to say self-serving. Yeah, he's just so self-serving and so self-centered. His intelligence only really shines. You know what the logistics are to get in a hot tub installed in your living room must be? He figured it out, though, and got it filled. You got a hot tub. It took forever to get that hot tub working. <laughs> yeah, no, for it to finally arrive. Right. And, right. And, and and they didn't have to turn it on the side and get it through a house door. Yeah, that's all crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, so Kevin- I, I appreciate so much, again, like, we don't know the backstory of how he got Kelly fired. All we know and all we get is her walking out, you know, obviously upset with her with her box. And we know that he did it. But I think that the show is just is amazing and how they have basically trained us to watch it. That that's all we have to know. We That's all we have to see to know that Kevin did this. He's certainly capable. This is actually a great time because we, we mentioned it before and then kind of blew right past it. Just because I think it's important, especially in season two, stop and think about if Kevin says to Pete, what are you going to Pete says, what are you going to do? Kevin says, justice, dad, simple justice. Combine that with going to the stage of putting a horse's head with fake blood on her windshield on top of getting her fired. Imagine all of that, all of that playing out 
in the single cam world. That's terrifying that this man is out and about and, and, and acting with impunity. He's got the protection of the police. He really literally can do no wrong. Imagine that guy on the loose. You know, the Netflix just released this like Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, uh, documentary. Uh, this feels a lot like someone who would get a Netflix, like true crime documentary, someone who goes and does this stuff. If it was in the single cam, it's really bone chilling, terrifying. Sometimes when when it's like so unbelievable and it's so like consistently happening, you can't wrap your brain around it. Like it's like it's not necessarily he can do no wrong. It's like surely this guy can't be capable of doing all these things, right? Like you kind of like talk yourself out of it that like he couldn't have been the one. That's what Allison's been trying to teach us all, though, for two seasons Everyone says that. Everyone's like, that Kevin couldn't possibly mm-hmm. be uh, Sam just last week. He's a clown. No, motherfucker. If he's a clown, he's the Joker. You know, he is not a clown. He is a, he is a maniac. He is a dangerous maniac. Oh. Um, let, let's stay with Allison and Sam a little bit more. The episode actually opens up, and we're jumping all over the timeline, but the episode opens up. I'm curious what you think of some of her possible death scenarios she comes up with in this episode. The first one is hiking death. She doesn't go into a lot of detail what that would look like, but it makes sense, right? Alone, no one around. I suppose, yeah. I mean, they they haven't like layered in anything like that. I know they said, you know, once or twice she maybe like supposedly was like a jogger at some point. So maybe that is relatable. But the concept of hiking, it actually kind of took me back because I was like, okay, I mean, I suppose there's somewhere she could hike, but it's not something anyone has anyway, like laid the groundwork for. Right. No, the dragging actually, they did, right? Because remember, she borrows yep. uh, Patty's uh, sweatsuit in the two miles and Pete and Kevin roll their eyes that that wasn't enough mileage. Uh, how about driving Kevin's car off of a bridge? Seemed insane. <laughs> but but I mean, I suppose that's a possibility. The whole thing was with the teeth, though. Uh, when you got into this... the whole teeth thing, I was like, oh, I'm so with Patty when she's like, that's not how this works. Like, this is not how dental records work. That's an awful plan. Well, it's just not at all how dental records work or fires. Okay, well, I need to figure something out because this is. We're going to go back to that clip later. I just wanted to play it since you mentioned it right there because it was so funny. I actually really enjoyed the two of them being drunk. I thought those scenes were great. I want to finish Sam, though, because Sam makes a comment to her early in the episode when she's she's going through the list of things and, and she's rambling off like she doesn't want to do the RMV. What do you guys call the motor vehicle motor vehicle department in Texas? DMV. DMV, right? Department of Motor yeah. Vehicle. That's what we call it in New York, too. When they said RMV, I was like, that has to be the DMV. But for yeah. the life of me, couldn't figure out what the R stood for. I actually went and looked it up. It's the Registry of Motor Vehicle. Oh, okay. So there you go. Uh, yeah, learn something new. This is like the Packy conversation uh, all over again. So interesting. A little follow-up. They connected some dots. The death certificate. It gets her the social security number for Gertrude Franch, which enabled her to get the birth certificate. She's got fake mail now. The last thing she has to do ID-wise is get this license, uh, is get a new driver's license under Gertrude's name. I like that the show hasn't abandoned it. Like, they're really showing us all of the steps, and in every episode, there's been, like, a little bit, a little bit further down the, down the path of this is happening. 
Well, and it helps make it more legitimate for for an audience member because we have to have some understanding that that there really are steps that could be done to fake your death. And you don't want it to just be like, and she just threw her jacket in the woods and ran away. She had to do all these other steps, which I think is smart. And again, like keeps the audience like they actually buy in to this this plan that it could actually work. Crossing Jordan, that show years ago, uh, taught me that if you were able to spray four pints of your blood around a crime scene, you would be declared dead, even if your body wasn't found. And I've held on to that knowledge in case it ever came up or it was something that I needed to know for whatever reason. I feel like this show actually has given me a much safer path to faking my death. Should it ever come up? This seems much, much more sensible with a lot less blood draw. Sensible, but I mean, the part where you have to have the body uh, picked out and then also go find the death certificate. Those two things are pretty rough to actually get done. Not if you know Rachel Dratch. Right, she could get she could get you in the city hall during a blackout. Here's the Sam thing that bothered me. This is just a little. This is Sam being Sam, and it's one of those things that really makes me just not fully like him. Even though I think the show has done an okay job of rehabilitating him a little bit, he makes this comment to her when she says that she still has to figure out what she's going to do for money. He says casually, "The getting more money is never an issue for Allison." He comes back to that later when he calls her lucky in the episode, but he says this right off in the car. That's such an asshole thing to say, given her circumstance. Now, it may be truthful, and in fact, she does wind up with an envelope of cash in this episode, but it's also so callous and so unnecessarily nasty. I I don't know why it bothered me, but it really bothered me when he said it. Well, because it's super dismissive of any efforts. And that's the thing. I mean, we all know from Oprah that luck is actually preparation meeting opportunity. And that's really why Allison can see things and get things when she does. It's not luck. She has her eyes open for the opportunity and she's prepared to act when it's time to do it. So she has laid the groundwork with Diane about everything with Kevin and whatever else, vacationing, however, however she spun this little story. And it was enough that Diane understood and was cool with it and even though she wasn't looking for diane to like be the source of that money when the opportunity was there she had already prepared diane like it all came together that's not quite the same thing as when you when most people say lucky they mean the person did nothing to deserve it it just fell in their lap they didn't even know it was going to happen and then oof they got it and that's not really what it is you had the exact right word it was sam being dismissive again of her the things she's getting done and the things she's accomplishing I, I, sam acts in so many ways like she really has this charmed life it, it, like like at the end of the episode, he seems to be like, well, why would you want to stay because of, you know, Kevin and like, you don't have a great life here. But up until that moment, everything from San has always been kind of with the tone of you don't really have it that bad, right? Your husband is an ass. He's a clown, but it's not that bad. You always get more money. You don't really need money. Do you really, you know, like very kind of dismissive of her struggles. I think that's what I keep bumping on with Sam. And that's stupid because in reality, it's that she perseveres and finds the next person or the next opportunity. She continues to try. And that's why, you know, if you if you open up enough doors, something's behind it. But he doesn't give any credit for the opening all the doors. I watch this episode several times as we watch all these episodes. As I, I watch it, I take watch it again and I take notes. I watch it again before we record. Every time that car crash happened, even though I knew it was coming, it made me jump. 
Yes, I hate. I, well, you know what? There's been two or three shows that I've been watching recently where there's been a car crash, and they're all filmed extremely similarly. Like you always see the hood of one car first, and then the smash happens very quickly after that. So I have to say, as jumpy of a person as I am with like horror or whatever, I'm actually getting a little bit desensitized to car crashes. That is troubling. <laughs> well, the way they're filmed is very familiar. It's, it's like very, I know very what's familiar. coming. I know the driver always looks distracted. And then they're going too fast. And then we do a zoom in on a hood and then a poof, right into the yeah. side. It's either it's the, very e- similar. E- you either see the driver or the headlight of the driver's side right before there it makes you impact. Go. There you go. For sure. It still made me jump, though. It still made me jump, though, every time and kind of go like it, like kind of like sucking my breath a little bit. But that car crash prompts Allison with her dislocated shoulder to walk two miles to Patty's house. When she says to Patty, it was actually really nice. I got to walk by the reservoir. I think that might be the saddest thing Allison has ever said that really, like, hurt my heart for her. Tell me why. You were just in a car accident. You were walking two miles. You were in extreme pain from your shoulder being dislocated. And you can still say that that time, that peace and quiet was still just really lovely. It just, it, I, for me, it just underscored how difficult her life is all the other fucking time. So I'm going to put a little different spin and say it also to me says, though, that she has her eyes up like she's not so downtrodden that, you know, yes, she's coming along with this like dislocated arm, but she can still notice something. She can still see beauty in this world. Right. Which is our West world. Like, can you still see it or not? You know, and she can still see it. That's hopefulness to me. That's that. I didn't take it as sad. I took it as like she is able to start seeing like little glints of of hope and light in in the world again. I like your version much better, but for me, it struck me as this is a woman who has to drink in her bathtub to escape her life. Well, not anymore. She's in season two. I, I know, but but still, that it's still that same woman though that when she when she is you know walking along with a dislocated shoulder can still like this is this is like the best part of my day, you know. Yes, but I, I like yes. your part though. I like the eyes opened and and looking forward to the horizon for hope and her head up and and seeing She's not the world. Just kicking the dirt and kicking the rock. So she walks, you know, her head's up. She's looking around. A definite season one conversation we had several times about Allison was her lack of noticing what was going on around her and, and lack of noticing anything beyond her own world. And so th- from that point of view, that you're right. You're 100% right that she is able to take into view. It does show that growth that we've been noticing and been uh, commenting on the last few episodes. And to comment to Patty to that, I think it also, like, I feel like Patty took it a little bit like maybe she was taken aback by like, wow, you like walked that far and all all this stuff's happening but also like huh friend you know like like you are changing and growing and seeing things differently patty had some great reactions to allison in this episode as good as the reactions as she has in the card room the death certificate card records room and in the hallway where i think mary hollis really shined in her body language reactions to allison and the things allison was saying she has some great body react body language reactions to allison in this episode starting with that where she's like picking glass out of her hair while she's listening to Allison talk about walking along the reservoir. Two-mile walk along the reservoir with a dislocated shoulder, and she's not huffing and puffing. She's not puking up her guts. Allison's fit. Allison's in shape. Let's put that on the board for possible death scenarios. Allison Allison can can hustle when she needs to be to avoid the cops and paramedics. Good to know. Fascinating. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get to these two drunken women who are so much fun. I just feel like I don't know how to have any fun. 
You know how to have fun. Uh, fun is for people with disposable income. Kevin and I don't have disposable income. That's never stopped him. That is actually the one, the one thing that I kind of maybe admire about him. Okay. Maybe you'll stop drinking now. I mean, I never gambled. I've never been in a fight. I got poker chips and I punch real good. Ask Neil, let's go. I just can't die without having any fun. And it, I could, I could. I had a near death experience today. My shoulder popped out. <laughs> that laugh Patty gives at the end to that, my shoulder popped out. It made me laugh too. <laughs> Annie Murphy just it killing it here. Delivery. The, these two are so good together. And in these scenes, these drunk scenes, both of the drunk scenes that they have together in this episode are just so good and really hammer home for me the, this idea of we're, we're most truthful when we're a little bit drunk. And, oh, yeah. and I and I feel like these two were just so stripped bare in both of the scenes in this episode. For Alice to admit that she admires a quality about Kevin, that's huge. I have to say, though, don't you admire those people that are so creative and have this, like, endless amount of energy and imagination that even if they're creating chaos, they're still creating? And I, I do have, like, real respect for the fact that, I don't know, most people are pretty freaking boring. You know, when you come down and there's a hot tub in your living room there was a lot of logistics and you figured it out man you problem solved it into here so i do have some amount of respect for for how those things come about yeah if you're being honest with yourself of course yeah i 100 agree you think you have to respect the guy who can get a hot tub into his living room overnight um but you know it, it, it there's there's jealousy or or anger also so much usually wrapped up in those situations with people like that that it's hard to see through that to get to the part where you get to see I actually admire his ability to always be able to have fun when we have no fucking money. It's not unlike Sam saying grateful right word or wrong word, but admiring a quality in Kevin's chaos bomb in helping set right uh, an aspect of Sam's life that could have dragged on for a long time. It, it's an interesting thing with Sam and Alice in this episode, acknowledging these parts of Kevin that if used for good are great things. I mean, Kevin uses well, them for, well, they, Kevin uses them for selfishness and destructive things. I was going to say, it's just because it, it just because it benefited them all of a sudden, they can see some goodness in it. Uh, well, I, yes. And, and I think, I think it's always important to note that we almost always act from a self-interested standpoint, right? So sure. I, I think a lot of you, a, a purely altruistic view. This was a discussion in Friends years ago, uh, where Joey tells Phoebe that there's no actual selfless act, that the most selfless act is still a selfish act. Because if you derive pleasure from making someone else happy in a selfless act, you have act selfishly. I know it's Friends. And it's, you know, it, it sounds a little too philosophical goopy, but it makes sense, though. This it, it, uh, When you drill down to it, that's that's how we all act, though. I think that's just honest. And, and I like Allison here being a little drunk can finally, like, shed that a little bit. But uh, but of course, Patty has the exact right 
you know, reaction to that. And I think that any friend would have in that was like, you should stop drinking now. You're talking crazy talk. When, when Patty giddy claps after popping out, popping her shoulder back in, just fantastic. As gross as the sound was. With- I loved her like surprise attack on her like that. That was so funny and like dead on how you'd need to do it. That's how I thought you would do it. I really sat there thinking, <laughs> I was like, this is exactly how Caroline would pop in my shoulder if I needed her to. <laughs> what the hell? Does your shoulder pop out? No, my shoulder is well in its socket, but I think that's what you would do. You would definitely do like, a, all right, I'm going to count to three, one, two, and then you would do it on two because you're saving the person, you know, elongated pain. Yeah. Well, and I think that if it comes unexpectedly, then you're like relaxed and you're not fighting against it and all that stuff. So there's probably real good, good reasoning behind it. Well, so in I, I looked up the selfish act kind of concept, and this is the quote that I liked. It was from Bill Crawford. I like this one. It says, there's no such thing as a selfless act, nor should there be. We don't have to be selfless to avoid being selfish. If you get a little happiness out of doing something nice for someone, I don't think you're actually being selfish. To me, I'm like, if you can be happy along with the person, maybe selflessness is not the goal, but just making other people happy is is acceptable enough. Like maybe being selfless is an impossible mountain to climb. But that's okay, provided that you're not like, you know, just trying to use people or do something, you know, just because you get something out of it. I totally support that there is altruism, even in a selfish act. Let's continue on with these two drunk birds. We're going to replay the dental records clip. I think the interesting thing here, and it's it's not being talked about, I, I had to edit it out from the clip, is were you surprised to learn that Patty had wanted to go to nursing school? I don't think that was something we knew. I don't think that's something we knew either, but remember I told you I thought it was actually kind of interesting that she became a hairstylist because I was like, man, it would have made more sense for her to become a barber because it's just very practical um, and there isn't that sort of finesse part to it. So I, I loved the whole concept of like that she really does have this caring, nurturing side. And you can tell that because she did choose to be the hairstylist versus the barber. It wasn't crazy to me. I I mean, it would be a lot more schooling. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I don't know if that's exactly Patty's route, but she really loves to read and stuff. Like, I I think she could have had... They could have gone through other things she would have wanted to be, you know, because she is a reader. I'm very curious. They left that aspect a little bit untouched. It was just there in the background that she's a reader, not really delving into that very much, you know? Right. I, I've always taken it more like there's more to Patty than any of us know, even the people closest to her, because Patty doesn't let anyone in to know it. In the same way that the show hasn't let us in to know what drives her love of reading. Did it come from someone in her life? Was it a teacher? Was it her mother before she died and still a love of reading? Like it comes from somewhere. But big, Patty doesn't let you in like that. For God's sakes, Allison didn't know it was her birthday until it was her birthday. I like that that we don't know it because i think that's consistent with who patty o'connor is but i'm also kind of super interested to know everything about this woman i really want to know what her life has been like literally from the day her mother died when she was 11 up through the woman we see now who is in her mid to late 30s let's play this clip and then uh talk about it because there's a great question posted at the end that i think we should talk about that's an awful plan <laughs> why well it's just not at all how dental records work or fires. Okay, well, I need to figure something out because this is the last thing I need to do. Mm. The last thing. Yeah. So, I have to be smart about it. Yeah. Pliers notwithstanding, I guess. Sam thinks I'm stolen. 
Okay. What is with everyone rushing everybody all the time? Thank you. Nick is in a coma. Kevin and Neil are back to normal. So I, I do have time. I can't be stupid about this. Well, you gotta think things through. Yeah. You gotta be sure. How do you know when you're sure? How do you know when you're sure? That is a great question. I don't think a lot of people ask themselves. We talk about all the time. You got to be sure before you get married, before you buy a house, before you buy a car, before you go to school, before you do this, before you do that. How do you ever fucking know if you're sure? I have a philosophy in my life where I don't have to be sure. So I have to have a pretty good feeling about something. And I have a very a very strict policy that you can always reevaluate the choice that you made without beating yourself up, without deciding, you know, that you were, you made a stupid choice or anything like that, but just saying, you know what, I made the best decision I could with the amount of information I had at the time. And now maybe it's six months in, maybe you did decide to go to school and it's not for you. Maybe you did decide to take a job and it's not for you. You're allowed at any time to stop and think and reevaluate that choice and make a different choice. And that's, for me, that's Allison in a nutshell with this. Like, you're allowed to stop at any point and decide if this is working for you. And that's what I feel like these women are talking about. Like, why do you have to be so rushed? Why do you have to make one decision and like, that's it? You have to just go, go, go. You're allowed to stop and think and reevaluate. I made a choice quite a long time ago to actually take some time in the morning um, and like lay in bed and just think. And I know that sounds kind of stupid. Some people might call it meditation or something like that. I don't try to like zone out. I really try to think through things that are going on and stuff because almost everybody I know only comes from a position of like reacting to a situation, reacting to, you know, showing up at work and there's a problem or, or, you know, there's something and you're just dreading it or whatever. If you actually give yourself some time to think, which is what these women are really advocating in my mind, to stop and you don't have to be certain, sure, if you will, but you just have to be committed and willing to like take that next step with the caveat that if I take that step and I don't feel good about it, I can I can just say, you know what, I'm going to take a step this direction instead. This feels better. How do you know when you're sure? I don't know. I, I feel, I mean, there are certain things when you feel love, uh, when you don't like things. I think there's a lot of surety that comes there. I feel like when you are overwhelmingly and really, truly in love with someone, I feel like there's a surety there where, where all the doubt flies out or all of the doubt except for the lowest dull like white noise in the back of your head that's all that remains i think that's about as sure as anyone could ever feel but those are extreme examples right super disliking something or or feeling something with all of your heart and soul i think knowing you're sure is easy i, I think I, I, but most things i don't know most things that don't fall in the extremes i don't know i don't know if you're ever really sure about what car to buy you know i i don't know because there's three different cars that you could have bought like but you pick this one how are you sure i don't fucking know it's the one i got I, <laughs> <laughs> well and sometimes on like you know decisions like that like maybe stop acting like it is life or death like i mean just simply make a decision i the part that i feel like most 
people are lacking is that part where they give yourself some grace to say, I'm allowed to make a choice. I don't have to be sure. Okay. I have to make a choice. And then if that works for me, I'm going to move forward. And if it doesn't work for me, I don't sit here and say, you stupid asshole. Why'd you do this? You put yourself in this bad position. You say, I learned something about myself. This didn't work for me. If I'm, if I ever encounter a situation like this again, I already know what I don't like, you know, and so I'm not going to do that again, but I'm going to take this other choice over here. And I think that Allison and Patty really reminding all of us viewers, like, this is so important when it comes to being, say, in an abusive relationship. You don't have to say, well, I made the decision one day, 20 years ago to do XYZ. And so therefore, I would be a jerk if I went back and said, well, that wasn't the right decision for me. Somehow I wasted my life or whatever, okay? Instead, if you gave yourself some grace and said, I made this decision and I stuck it out for as long as I could. And now this decision doesn't work for me anymore. I have new information about how this decision actually affects me. And I'm going to make a different choice. So I hear the show telling anyone who's in a, in a, a relationship right now or making any big change... You are allowed to sit with this decision and and think it through and decide what you want to do and then act on it. You don't have to, like, you know, run out in the night. Grace. Giving yourself grace is something I have struggled with my whole life. Yeah? Yeah. I'm I'm hesitant to say I'm an A-type personality, but I I definitely treat myself with an A-type personality kind of agenda part of that is grace doesn't come easy i Mm. i feel the need to be perfect or as close to perfect as perfect can be on all situations big and small from what i eat for breakfast to where i how i decide to be you know buried when my life is over like you know all decisions i feel like are are treated with the same level of need to be perfect well, then I totally invite you to like to to stop and like think and say like, well, what if I took more of a learning approach to life and learning about myself? The goal is not to be perfect. The goal is to figure out what I actually like. So if I choose cereal this morning and I get to lunchtime and I think, man, I wish I had something else for breakfast. We'll have something else the next day. And if you feel good about that, then and then that worked for you. Then, OK, now do that. It's just refining and editing and, you know, kind of figuring out what you like and don't like in life. And that way, it's not a constant thing of like, I screwed up. It's like, I learned something about myself today and I'm going to take that. And the next thing I do, I'm going to make, I have more information to make a different decision. So you're just collecting information about yourself and the world around you all the time. And once you take those things and you put them together, you can say, oh, crap, this makes a different picture. (laughs) You know, I'm going to do this differently. Not for nothing. This is we should be charging people for this content at this point. <laughs> I was going to be like, do you feel better, Mike? Like, well, I'm really just talking to you uh, right yeah, now. <laughs> I think I do. I think I do. I think I am going to try mean, the eggs think... tomorrow that I didn't have today. And I, I've been I've been thinking about since I didn't have them this morning. <laughs> I feel like anyone who has kids especially has to give themselves grace because I think that and, and you know, I'm not in no way disparaging anyone who doesn't have kiddos. But I think that there's something very dynamic about kids that forces you to have this humility. Like you think you can control everything. You think you can make everything in a certain way. And when it doesn't happen that way, when life is out of your hands, which totally happened with me, then you have to have some sense of like, things are bigger than me. And all I can do is learn and and get more information. 
and move forward because, you know, you can't change things. You know, this this whole situation that she's going through here, you know, with Kevin, once she decides to make this choice, whatever she does, it's it's going to change things. And that is one of those moments where it's like at any given time, she still has a choice. You know, she still has a choice. She can get more information and make different choices like all of us can. Patty makes a choice in this episode. She makes a choice not to go bail Neil out. I thought that was a huge moment yeah. of growth for her to not do that. Um, yeah. And Neil still gets what he wants. I mean, he's still got his new mother figure to go bail him mm-hmm. out. But for Patty's point of view, I was really proud of her for doing that. I, I'm curious how you felt about that. Was that a big moment of growth for her? I think it was Patty realizing she had a choice. You know, I think before she felt so obligated to Neil to to be there for him at all times that especially as he's kind of unraveled this like, you know, brother and sister, like we just have this obligation to one another between the two of them. Like there's no longer a responsibility. Like, he doesn't necessarily show up for her and he and she doesn't necessarily need to show up for him anymore. Um, And so just kind of opening that door to like, you have a choice. You don't have to go down there at all. I think that that's huge for her. I even really like that she's taking her time with this entire Tammy situation. I really like that she realizes like she has a choice. Like if she wants to take six months to move her boxes over, what's it to anyone, you know? I like, you know, just let her, let her make the choices in the time that she takes. And for me, that's some sort of microcosm probably to her sexuality, you know, coming out and being who she is when in her time, when she's ready, why does everybody always have to be trying to dictate when you're supposed to know exactly how to handle something or exactly the way you're handling it? You like back off a little bit, you know? I mean, we got caught up on the question of how do you know when you're sure? But the other big part of that clip that we played was this theme of feeling rushed that Sam says I'm stalling. Which, hold on, can we can we pause on that second? What in the hell? Someone telling someone else, making a life decision that you're stalling. There is something that is so really malicious about that word to me yeah it's but it's malicious it's meant to to make you feel small but that's who sam is though that's who sam is when except for when sam is being aware of it sam's natural default is to act like that the same way tammy acts with patty like why is he rushing her to fake her death what's it to you dude like good god yeah, I mean, he says at the end of the episode, like, I don't want you to go either, but no, it's not your business. Just either help me or don't help me. Either give me a ride to do this bullshit stuff that I got to do or don't like whatever. But you don't get to you don't get to put your thumb on the scale. Yeah, you don't get to judge or critique the way I'm handling my own life when I'm trying to exit a terrible situation because she could easily come back on him and say, who are you saying stalling? You're the one that had to wait for my husband to blow up your life for you to figure out your marriage. Who are you to say like like as if you stepped up and just, you know, took the reins and did it and just made a decision about your marriage. You didn't. You let an outside party screw everything up for you. <laughs> You know, who are you to talk? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Fuck you. Exactly. (laughs) That's what she should have said to him because... That is, I mean, uh, I'm a procrastinator, I admit, but if someone were to tell me I was stalling, oh, that'd be about the best way to get me to stand up, 
silently look at them and smirk and walk the fuck out of the project because stalling is such a gross word. It is. It's so interesting that Allison has her Kevin. Allison has her Sam. Tammy, uh, Patty has her Tammy. Why why are we drawn to these people? Because I think this is something that a lot of people experience in real life. You're drawn to these people constantly coming into your life. Is it is it is it juju like vibes we're putting off into the air? Is it the learned behavior of this is what we deserve? Like is there a part of Allison that feels like she needs someone to talk to her and treat her this way as part of her abusive you know the the sitcom mother and the Kevin? I'm going to say that for- part of it it's not that the allisons are drawn to the kevins it's that the kevins spot an allison mm, I like it. and so it tends to be more like you know this is the person who is you know has a bad relationship with her parents you know feels like she doesn't know what the next step is in her life like there's just it's it's easy in a lot of ways to pick out an open-hearted person and find that person and and exploit them you know i don't think it's the other way around i don't think that person's looking to be exploited it's just like we talked about with allison like she has this grooming with her mother and then she also this was these were the first people who were talking to her after her dad died literally this group with patty and neil and kevin these were the first people to talk to after her after her family life implodes and that becomes her family for the rest of her days here you know like good lord you just got me thinking so hard about it's not that allisons are attracted to kevin's it's that the kevin's spot and allison you got me thinking about last week when the cops spilled uh, the tea about tammy a little bit that mm-hmm. that patty's breaking all of tammy's rules as she swore she'd never date another local girl who smokes again and now i'm sitting here thinking man i want to know who who patty was who tammy's patty was before patty was she as controlling to her is tammy spotting the women she control based on how she treats patty right i mean she says to her you know i shouldn't read anything into this that you're taking so long i guess it wouldn't be you if you were moving any faster that is so gross and like i i oh <laughs> i kind of can laugh like fuck that. you <laughs> yeah that yeah we should keep that for all the podcasts I like all of them all that one is that one is that one and this one god damn it they're all officially and, and into also the rotation the, the um the oh my gosh the one from gilded age no <laughs> exactly i mean i love it. baranski every time every time baranski may be the only thing kevin can fuck himself is missing uh, baranski, but... <laughs> oh, could you imagine a lot of the stuff that's going on with these particular people i want i want to be really clear i'm not trying to say that the allison's and remember, I think that everybody really has some Kevin and some Allison in them. I do not think that any of us get off scot-free without having some amount of manipulation inside of us. Like, I'm sure we do. It's the choice of acting on it or not. It's the choice of thinking it through and realizing it could hurt people or not. It's not that nobody, it's not that people don't have the inclination to manipulate others. It's just deciding whether or not you're going to do it. You're a smart guy. I know you're the same way. I know me and you can spot somebody and say, (laughs) that one would be easy to convince to do something. But the reality is like, you have to decide, are you the person who's going to convince somebody or persuade someone or, or, or no, you know, that's not in their best interest. So you don't do it. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility and you have to wield it wisely. So let's talk about Tammy a little bit. I want to play this clip. 
I know what you said about us hanging out, but you can't control her life or friends. That's not what this is, okay? I'm worried about her. Worried how? This is Patty at a gas station in Vermont where I'm pretty sure she assaulted a trucker for some pills. Pills that ended up on the guy who broke into your house. I don't know exactly what it means, but I know she's wrapped up in something stupid, something bad. Uh, have you shown this to anyone else? No. The minute I do, it becomes official. Well, uh, <laughs> there must be some misunderstanding. That's not like Patty. You know her. I mean, I think I do, but don't you think she's been acting weird lately? Mm, no. No, no. I mean, not at all. She's been, she's been completely normal with me. Okay, Allison's a horrible liar. I think we all understand that. But is this Tammy just trying to trap Allison? Why else play this? What's 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 the thought process here? Oh, I think if I'm if I'm Tammy and I am a multi-year police officer, I think by showing her that clip, I think that that is a veiled threat that uh, I know she's into something. I know I think you're a bad influence around her. Uh, so I'm just going to show this to you. And I'm not going to say I think you have anything to do with it. And But I am going to read your reaction to what I'm showing you and decide whether you're like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Or if you're like, oh, like, like she was, then you're like, oh, OK, so you were also there. You know, like it's pretty easy to figure out. It's a good little, it's a little litmus test, right? But again, it's manipulation, right? Because this isn't, oh, yeah. I mean, she, she herself, Tammy makes the point of saying, if I show this to anyone else, it becomes official. So that's Tammy saying, it's also a threat. Uh, right. That, that's Tammy saying, I'm not acting here as a cop, but you are acting as a cop though, or you're just super controlling and manipulative, even in your private life. But clearly you're acting like a cop though. And you're trying to get Allison horrible liar as she is to the trip up here. Now, the big question is clearly Allison is going to share this information with Patty, right? Well, I think I think that's part of the test, right? You know, I'm going to give you a bit of information about this third party. Now I'm going to monitor the third party to figure out if you squealed. Fair. But what does that actually show? Wouldn't it be weird if Allison, a friend to Patty, didn't tell her? It's not like she was under police uh, gag order to not say anything. It makes Allison an increased threat. Or can you trust her to keep it shut up? Sure, I guess. I guess that is. But I feel like Tammy already knows that she can't. Or Tammy has already at least decided she can't. Whether she's never judged Allison fairly, not really. So she already made the decision before she walked out of that house. When she got up from the couch, which we didn't get to see to go outside, she had already made the decision to trap Allison here with this information. Right? It was it was very premeditated oh, yeah. on her part to put her on her back foot. I think she's testing everybody all the time. Like I said, with the like lighting of the candle and then saying what she has to say and then being like happy birthday like it's all a game it's all like i'm setting you up i'm watching your reaction and now you have this nugget of information are you gonna go squeal are you gonna keep it to yourself what's gonna happen next wasn't a lot of neil and patty in this episode besides patty deciding not to bail him out of jail but then he does come back from the tour de francia and he didn't it didn't go well he's super drunk they lost the crawl kevin's pissed he needs to go to the paint store and find a goat what <laughs> yeah you need to go to the paint store and find a goat both of those things sound horrible but also i'm a little like oh i wouldn't even have thought to get a goat <laughs> 
I, I'm impressed with people's creativity at that level. When he says, Kevin needs me, she goes to get the blanket and then he's gone. Now, this is interesting because I think there's a version of Patty that runs after him. Maybe season one Patty runs after him or or season one Patty maybe is with them when all of this is happening. But she doesn't run after him. She looks sad. She looks worried, but she doesn't run after him into the night. But how sad is Neil with, with the Kevin needs me when there's a couple of times when he says Kevin needs me there and then later on when he's stumbling drunk and we have the clip here we'll play in a second he stumbles stumbles drunk after he throws the bottle and he goes i'm back buddy Uh, just heartbreaking and i don't want to say i don't i was thinking about this today i want to be very careful not to become some neil stan or or make neil out to be the most like alex bonifer it is but i think that (laughs) i think the show is showing a complexity to him and now for me he is the monster that attacked her and maybe was going to do horrible things to allison at the end of season one that i think is who neil is i think the show is doing a very good job of showing hurt people hurt people and neil is a hurt person who just continues to lash out left and right and doesn't and is, is just lost has a bad person maybe probably but is certainly a hurt person who is just lumbering like like a frankenstein's monster from scenario to scenario well to your point about the increased drinking i think that with this like awakening that people are having to like how shitty the situation is the need to like numb out and fall into like old habits and just kind of try to just not be present and and be like that like i'm coming buddy like there's something that's so like you know kind of juvenile and whatever something he probably said when they were like you know 17 or something like there's something more you're almost acting on like instinct because you don't want to think so you're just like relying on old ways let's play this clip from neil and diane being post-coital in bed so where does chuck think you are uh that would require chuck thinking about me right So this is where you stayed before you moved back in? Yep. My big three-day rebellion. Though I guess you saw it account. <laughs> yeah. You can use me to rebel all you want. Hey, what are you doing Friday night? Working. You want to hit up the seas after? I get free popcorn. I'm a regular. Everyone gets free popcorn sweets. And I think you and me are more of a just in this room sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. No, I, like I said, I, I like the room. Is it he's dumb or is he just simple like a child, the free popcorn thing? She she is like such like a not like a mom here, but like kind of like a maybe like an aunt when she says sweetheart, they give everyone the free popcorn. You know, sweets. I think that he is showing his naivete in terms of like you know we i said that i thought he had some charm around women and stuff like that but i i don't think that extends to like knowing how to woo a woman um and he's like he's trying you know like he doesn't have any money or anything either you know so he's trying to like woo her with things i i thought it i thought it was endearing that he was trying to make himself look like he was like more important um than he really is and you know she was trying to be kind but be like silly (laughs) 
know, like, no, sweets, that's not the way. What did you think about that we're more in this room kind of couple? Harsh, harsh. Yeah, right? I mean, if I'm laying in there and I'm naked under the covers, we just finished having sex and and, and, and I'm trying, I'm, I'm saying, let's go out. And the response is, I think we're more of an in this, just this room couple. That's heartbreaking, but I don't know. But also naive, right? Naive in terms of like Chuck and and the reality of the situation. This episode shows Diane doesn't have a handle on her actual emotions. I think she say I think her brain is thinking one thing and I think her heart is saying something else. And I, I, this scene especially because she goes through all the emotions, right? She's saying here we're an in this room couple, but the next time we see her in the motel, she's wearing the lingerie and you know very busty lingerie, like hachi chachi stuff, and and is and is upset and she goes to his house when he blows her off. And in, and we learn later she was planning on an Atlantic City gambling trip with him. Like, she was making plans with Neil. There's an accelerated love timeline here where she's clearly more than just satisfied, which is the word that she uses when she's talking to Allison about Neil. Well, and I also feel like, you know, getting away from their hometown, like they can't hang out in their hometown. Like that's not a possibility, which is which is in retrospect when she's talking about the fact that maybe they could go to Atlantic City. It was like, OK, maybe we could go somewhere where nobody knows us. And that's kind of an extension of the this room couple. But we can't be at the local hangout and be, you know, actually there. like that's a real misconception of what can go down because Chuck will kill you. Right. But. Also, lingerie tells me she's more than just satisfied. There's something else more wrapped up in there. She wouldn't be wearing busting out the lingerie if if it was just if she wasn't a little bit more smitten kitten. And also, they do wind up at the seas. They are making kissy faces because that's where Allison sees them. The whole thing accelerates. It's very bold of them to do that. Good much Lord. faster than what we're seeing from from Diane here. You know, at some point she gets on board. She's like, you know what? Let's throw a little bit of caution to the wind because it is a thing when. Diane and Allison meet up in the seas, right? Allison has seen them together, so now she's decided that she's going to confront Diane about Neil. And she starts to kind of warn her off, right? She doesn't give specifics, but she says he may not be who you think he is, which fair for her to not give specifics or not being a good friend? Like, is it that you're dangling, showing a little ankle and, and not, and then pulling it right back? Oh, I think you can't you can't come in hot when when your friend is having daydreams about laughing in bed with the guy. You cannot come in hot. You've got to come in real slow and careful. And if they ask you, like, well, why do you say that? Like, what happened? That would be one thing. But you can't just come in like he did this and he did that because you know what? That person's ears are going to close right off. They don't want to hear your jive. So she's playing it just right. It's not that she's wouldn't tell Diane, but she can't come in like full all the information because Diane's going to be like, whatever, and just walk away. And but Diane is kind of ready for this, though, because she's got this bullet in the chamber right away of at least Neil has been here for me. And that's something which good for Diane to call Allison on it. This is something that we talked about separate from Allison being justified to use who she has to use to get what she needs to get in order to get out of this there are other people that Allison is interacting and those people have feelings and they have their own lives that they're trying to live and from Diane's point of view Allison has not been a good friend in this Chuck thing right since she dragged her to the Billy the PI we haven't really seen Allison consoling Diane about what she's going through we don't know what Chuck did to her when he pulled her out of South uh, South 
South Carolina. Like, we didn't hear any of that. Where was Allison talking to Diane about that? And and Allison owns up to that a little bit at the end. But clearly, it's been on her mind that I have to go to Neil because at least it's something to distract me from, you know, my own hell that I'm living in. Uh, Fair or is that too harsh? Because I think there's some people who are going to say that, you know, that have this feeling that Allison is untouchable and unassailable. But I think I think Diane is, is in the right here to have this feeling. I think it's a predictable feeling. I mean, I think when someone's in a situation like Diane, where she is sitting there, and I appreciated that her flashes were not of them having sex. They were them laughing and talking and and just being just having fun together and i think that that's what she was really lusting after it would take many conversations to get through to that person that there was something that wasn't okay in the situation and you know what those people are pretty willing to just ignore things that are not necessarily okay because they really need the the outlet they really need you know if you only have chuck in your life you really need somebody else to talk to and and she's willing to take the good with the bad you know she's willing to bail him out of jail because she really needs this i think there's a lot of complex feelings i think the show is delving into these characters and we could talk about more of this uh in in next week's episode but i am curious and so just put this on the thought board is this show serving its purpose well by diving so deep into say diane's character at this stage of the game. I think that's a conversation worth having. We're just about done with this episode, so I don't want to open up that can of worms. But I think when it's all said and done, I think people are going to talk about the the character dives that they did into characters that were not Patty or Allison. I think that's fair, because when you're talking about, like, there's a time clock, you know, with, like, how much time we get to spend with these characters, and a lot of people get upset when there's such little time, and then you start spending time with these side characters who really were not the main storyline the whole time. But if you go with the idea that Diane is Allison later in life, then it's not that we're spending time with a side character. We're spending time with, like, alternate universe Allison. If she sticks around, this is what it looks like, and you end up having an affair with, you know, this this kid you can see it now like it i think it actually helps allison make her decisions and figure out if she's sure or not when she decides like i don't want to become like this i don't want to be in a motel room i don't want to be you know with some just with some alternative guy but in the same situation over and over again so i i think it's very eye-opening and, and important for allison to have that that time with her to be like wait a minute wait a minute because it's just like a glimpse into the crystal ball you know I know you say you're not supposed to get in a relationship the first year of doing this whole thing, but uh, I, I, I got sober after I met this guy, so I thought it didn't count. But it's over, and okay, I get it. Because, like, I was able to get sober because of him. Like, I had something to look forward to that wasn't a nip of fireball after work. During work. <laughs> Without him, I'm gonna be honest with you, okay? Without him, I don't, I don't know how long I can go without drinking. And without me, I don't wanna have to worry about him, but I can't stop worrying about him. I'm back, buddy! 
that is the support for why she turns down the drink in part because she's not impressed by Allison trying to buy her. But also I think she has, she is doing the sobriety thing here where she's not drinking at this part now because she had been, she had been filling in the alcohol void with a Neil void, right? When Neil had been filling that yeah. part of her, that, uh, that alcohol had been the thing to look forward to. Cause she says, she says in the episode when she's talking to Allison, she says, Neil is something to look forward to dot, dot, dot. I'm satisfied here in yeah. the AA meeting. He was something to look forward to instead of a nipper fireball. So yeah, I can see like, a, you know, he, he is a coping mechanism for her. You know, he is an outlet and, and that's really what, you know, she's trying to give up one coping mechanism for another. And that's completely understandable. I mean, we all need something and some of us have good ones, like maybe going to the gym or something. And some of us are like totally me. I like turn to my pantry and I'm like, okay, I've had a bad day. What are we eating? Um, Cause that's just the way I can cope. So, you know, I just see these women like really trying hard to figure out how to how do you negotiate what's a good coping mechanism or an acceptable coping mechanism in that moment i don't know but i mean i think the, the genius of the editing of that scene is she's having this very heartful moment where she's acknowledging it and so often things in our life acknowledging the thing is really the most important step into being able to deal with it you have intercut with that neil finishing off a bottle slamming back whatever bottle of liquor he's drinking smashing it again on the you know the front porch and then stumbling into kevin's house not not coping, right? I mean, the, the just the kind of yin and yang of the two going back to back. I thought it was just really good editing and really kind of hammered home, hammered home what she is saying in the voiceover at the AA meeting. Oh, and, and alternatively, I'll say that she is trying to get a healthier coping mechanism and he's using the same mechanism he's always used, which is just to numb out and to go, you know, get crazy with Kevin like that. That's part of how he copes with what his life is like interesting and I'm, I, it's a very understated little scene when she bails him out and they are coming out of the police station she says are you okay and he just simply says no you have to wonder is him being incarcerated his sister not coming to bail him out obviously kevin not bailing him out diane who he stood up called having sex with her weird and stupid is the one who comes to bail him out and we only have time to get into weird and stupid sex but does that represent a low point for neil has has neil finally hit rock bottom we don't know what he did yet to get thrown in jail but we know it's probably going to be because of Kevin directly. This is even his sister has given up on bailing him out. Does this maybe represent a low point for him? That very understated no, I thought was well played by Alex. Whenever you can finally have the moment where you can say, like, no, I'm not okay. I actually think the rock bottom is right before that. And then when you say, no, I'm not okay, that's actually you like starting to come back up because you're willing to put out your hand. You're willing to be honest. You're willing to not just try to hide away in your bottle or whatever. I think right, right before that, you're right. When he realized like who and when and who wasn't coming and all that kind of stuff, that was the rock bottom for sure. Because now he's in jail and he's going through all this with Patty coming with open eyes like knowing what this all means as opposed to just you know before where he would just be like oh well i don't know where kevin is and blah blah you know making excuses whatever now he knows now this guy's just not coming for me and my sister's not coming for me big big moment for that character it is a big moment for that character though he still does have a safety net right patty's plan was to let him dry out over the weekend that didn't go that way so you gotta put up on that board there, is there going to be ramification patty thinks 
that Neil is in jail. Allison thinks that Neil is still in jail over the weekend. They don't know that they don't necessarily know based on what we saw that that Diane bailed him out. So put up on the board. Are they going to be ramifications for them not showing up? And now that he Mm. is out and about lurker 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 did kino money uh, diane comes and gives a big wad of kino cash to allison for her quote-unquote vacation does this finally confirm that diane does understand this vacation is not a vacation but is an escape plan that she's helping her out with i think so i think the way she said vacation was with a wink you know i think she definitely was like mm-hmm but I really appreciate that she didn't feel the need to ask anything else. Like she was giving Allison the grace that we were talking about, you know, the like, however you need to do this, this is obviously a private matter. You would have explained this better, but I've put the pieces together and I realize what's going on with you. And, you know, I want to support you in this quiet, I'm not going to call you out kind of way. Did it warm your your soft heart a little bit that she says that I always thought I had a daughter, that she essentially talks to Allison as if she was her daughter? It's 100% a closure conversation. It's a deathbed kind of thing where it you is. say like, you know, I'm, I, I, I've always loved you. I've always looked at you like this. You're so important to me. To us, it should absolutely signal Allison's going to do something. Uh, for sure. It definitely feels like a closure conversation. Interesting that Allison starts that whole up. She starts it off by apologizing and saying, I just wanted from, I think she says, I just wanted you to be more than satisfied. Because I think Allison understands that Diane represents a, a, a future version of herself and for her own sake if not for diane's actual sake she wants diane to be out from under the chucks and the Neils of the world i think that's super fair and i mean because god if you did have a future version of yourself wouldn't you be like maybe you should do this <laughs> like try to try to somehow make things better for a final point that we have to talk about in the episode we hear patty say to allison you're not going to be around much longer this is a sentiment we have heard in three four episodes so far this season and then we have this 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 clip in bev's diner between sam and allison sam i don't want to leave after all the but why i'm just not ready to give up everything you're right i was stolen and i thought i could i thought i had time but now tammy's found something and soon she's just gonna ruin all of it ruin what your great life here yeah what i know i know it's just that everything's been easier lately Uh, but kevin it it turns out you make your problems kevin's problems he just fixes all of them like he has taken from me for 15 years just starting to get something back. I don't want you to leave either, but you kind of have to, right? I mean, tell me. She is a problem. But now I know how to take care of my problems. I introduced them to Kevin. 
that's definitely going to be the opening quote that opens this episode. Uh, I mean, I can, I, I know that now, but so it's nice to book end the episode with ending with it. What an intense way to end the episode. Introduce your problems to Kevin. Is, has a more sinister line ever been uttered on television? I don't know. I think introduced sounds very scary. Like, say <laughs> hello to my of- little friend, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It sounds exactly like that. And, and just, so sinister very final i mean you're talking about how it was a closure deathbed conversation between allison and diane that's a very like you know i'm gonna make him an offer tammy can't refuse kind of thing like i mean i'm on the godfather kick because of the horse's head in the beginning of the episode but this is this is sinister this is the ultimate weaponizing of kevin and just to bring it back full circle to the beginning theme that we talked about two episodes left now she's and we've been hearing you're not going to be around much longer you're not going to be around much longer now she's saying i don't want to go which i guess is predictable and understandable that someone would feel that way but look at how much you've done to prepare to go uh, patty's heart has been preparing for you to go and now you're not going to go and now you have this tammy problem that you're going to introduce to kevin in this sinister way holy shit what a setup for the final two episodes i'm excited i'm so ready to see what is going to happen and like you know we've all been wondering if any other cast member is going to come over to the other side and be in allison's world that's been an ongoing conversation and i really think if there had been more seasons i think there would have been like a character or two per season that would like cross over so i'm super curious if they are going to need to like condense that and if anyone comes to the other side we didn't talk about it because it was very self-explanatory but the title card in the beginning episode was the rolling newspaper printing uh i just i always mentioned it and i didn't mention it at the start of this episode but it was so obvious because it played into literally the beginning of the episode what do you think the machine is is the machine kevin kevin is the machine you're activating the you know people refer to the machine as in this this amorphous thing that one once, once you get lost in it, you really don't have any say about what happens, right? If you get caught yeah, you up in the machine, you can't, sure. right? You can't stop the machine. I think the machine is quite obviously Kevin, right? Yes, I absolutely agree with you. Once you once you point the the lasers in a certain direction and hit the button, you have no idea what's going to come next. All right, guys, this takes us to the end of another episode of Kevin Kim Podcast himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, be like Scarlet Minded. Be Scarlet Minded like Scarlet Minded. And leave us a five-star review. Maybe we'll read it on the air. Maybe we'll talk about your question. Maybe we'll just say whatever nice things you say about us, because those are the only ones we're going to read. It helps promote the show. It lets us know you're listening. It helps Apple and Spotify. I know you're listening and we would just really uh, appreciate it and you know what we don't think having sex with you is weird or stupid wow that's a mouthful thanks for listening <laughs> thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.